Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. And I am so excited about today's episode with Melissa Butler. She's a Detroit native who has skillfully and strategically launched a startup beauty brand, The Lip Bar, into a nationwide phenomenon. Now, you have to know The Lip Bar is one of the, actually, it is the highest selling black owned cosmetics brand at Target. She's got a huge display and then she's also launched a Gen Z brand and she's introducing skincare to the lip bar empire. Melissa is just so impressive. And it was really great talking to her about what it's been like being a black woman and entrepreneur in this space, in this climate where a lot of black owned brands are being purchased, but also what is it like to create a brand where you see space in the market. She was not seeing that beauty was inclusive. She was not seeing that women with darker skin were encouraged to wear bold lip shades. And she said, I'm going to change that. I am going to leave my incredibly well-paying job and start this brand in my kitchen and raise money. And it's just really inspiring hearing how she was able to make the dream in her head become a reality. I know you guys are going to love hearing from her. One of my favorite quotes from Melissa is that everyone deserves to have representation and without it, we're left seeking validation. So it was this belief that she thought, okay, I'm going to make this amazing vegan lipstick company. I'm going to start it from my kitchen. And I really think it's inspiring to hear how all of her hard work and passion and innovation and just focus on making her product accessible allowed her to be in the space that she is today, creating the products that she's creating today with the extremely, extremely engaged community and fans that she has for the lip bar. I think you guys are going to really love the conversation. And I was just honored to have her on the podcast and to share her story. So let's get into it. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm joined by Melissa Butler. Thank you so much for being on Naked Beauty. I am so excited to have you on. Thank you so much. I've I've admired your work in beauty for so long, so I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's been amazing to see what you've built with the lip bar and now all of the kind of new products and getting into the skin category is very exciting. And I know you've also been working on skincare for a long time. And it takes a long time to develop something right. But I do want to get your thoughts on like so many people entering the skincare space. And if that's frustrating, you know. It's not frustrating. It's kind of laughable, actually. So I think every sort of like personal care category is just so saturated. And it's because it has a super low barrier to enter the market. So anybody can sort of like pick a lap, slap their name on a product. And like, it's like, hey, Insert celebrity's name has a new line. Skincare is so hot right now because typically, like you mentioned, skincare takes a really long time to develop. And so a lot of people, even if you are sort of like going the private label route, it takes time. And so during COVID, a lot of people pivoted to skincare and away from makeup because like, you know, the reality is you weren't leaving your house. So you would like, you know, show up on your Zoom calls pantless and maybe slap on a lipstick, but everybody was paying more attention to their skincare. So I think it was expected for like lots of skincare to launch. But I also think that people just don't understand like 
how beauty works. And they think that just by having a product, it means that people are going to buy it. And, you know, Brooke, I wish that were the truth. (laughs) It takes a lot of legwork, a lot of formulation. And I feel like you were doing vegan formulations before that was even popular. But before we get into the incredible products and brands you have today, I want to hear about what your relationship was like with beauty when you were growing up. And I know that you grew up in Detroit, which has a very kind of unique music culture that I know about and food culture, but I don't really know about the beauty culture of Detroit. Like what was your relationship with beauty like growing up? Yeah. So Detroit is like, and a lot of people don't know this, but Detroit is the blackest city in America. We're like 77% black. There are cities with more black people in terms of like just the sheer amount of people. But percentage wise, this is the blackest city in the country, which means that I had the privilege to grow up understanding that like black excellence was a norm. I had the privilege to see sort of like what Black excellence looks like alongside Black poverty. So I was never in that position where I thought the world's view of Black people was my view of Black people. I was able to to create my own experiences. And that being said, Black people were free to do whatever they wanted to do as it relates to beauty. So Detroit used to be the hair capital. We actually did a campaign last year called the D-Girl Collection, where we pay homage to Black beauty in Detroit, where people had like crazy sculpture ponytails, or some people call it pink curl ponytails. We would wear like that really dark lip liner with the crazy glossy lip. Like everybody, you know, I think in urban markets across the country grew up on sort of like that matte lip glass. Oh yeah. The dark liner with the lip gloss over it. Yeah. So how did you feel when you saw them calling it brownie glazed lips? from Hailey Bieber. It was just like another thing that it's like, oh, this is being co-opted, you know, and people don't really understand the origins. So I just, I thought it was interesting, but my favorite part of it was like watching all of like the black influencers or the brown influencers sort of come back and say, I've been doing this since the nineties. Like, what are you, this is, this is not new, but I grew up like most, you know, girls who grew up in urban environments going to the beauty supply, buying like that red, super shiny roll on lip gloss. I remember I used to like try to do my own like fake nails. I was horrible at it. But my mom used to be a licensed cosmetologist. So I've always been close to the beauty industry, but I've never been close to makeup because I certainly grew up where it was like, if you wore makeup, that meant you were fast. So I couldn't wear makeup as a kid. I could wear a lip gloss and that was the extent of it. But when I was about 16 and I started wearing black eyeliner, you couldn't tell me a thing. I thought that I was like grown and just pretty and sophisticated. So that was the extent of like my makeup as a kid, like super glossy lips, black eyeliner. That's it. Not even any mascara, just eyeliner and lip gloss. I can relate to some of that. And sometimes I look back at old pictures and I'm like, you have a bare face and like black, jet black eyeliner and it looks crazy, but you really thought you were doing something. Now you are gorgeous. Did you ever model? Did you know you were beautiful growing up? Thank you so much. That's so sweet. No, I didn't think I was beautiful growing up. I think it's because, so I used to have a gap. I got braces like as an adult. So I think I was very self-conscious about lots of things. Me not having perfect teeth. My mother is light skinned. And so I am a brown complexion and I would grow up seeing sort of like the music videos and the magazines and like colorism is very real, even in a city like Detroit where the elite used to live. And, you know, oftentimes they were elite because they were fair skinned. I'm so happy you're bringing this up because I think when people hear, oh, you're in a space that's 77% black, or oftentimes I hear from people that didn't feel beautiful growing up because they were the only black girl around. But even within the black community, there is colorism. So even being brown skinned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of my friends were light skinned. And so I grew up sort of like wondering if I was enough. And that's part of the reason I started the lip bar. And it it still happens right now. It's so unfortunate. But like the boys in middle school, high school would gravitate towards the light skinned girls. The light skinned girls were the ones who were automatically pretty just based on sheer complexion. And so as a brown skin, and I'm not even, I'm not deep toned. If I was feeling sort of this otherness within my beauty and my skin, like my friends or my family members who were deeper than me, like I always felt that for them. 
I feel like this. And sometimes, you know, the boys would give me some play, but like, you know, my cousins who were deeper tone, they would never get play. And that was, that was hard. And then as I grew up, I realized like, oh, wait, this is systemic. These aren't necessarily these little boys' preferences. This is what they were conditioned to think was beautiful. And it was sort of like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, this is why representation matters. Absolutely. And now as a founder, you're able to cast the models that you use in your campaigns and on site and like represent so many different shades and make sure that there's a younger girl seeing the lip bar, you know, whether they're scrolling on Instagram and seeing a video that you guys are posting and seeing beautiful dark skinned women or beautiful women in all shades. Yeah, I'm really grateful because I think that the beauty industry has changed, not completely, but we've made large strides within the last 10 years. So I launched the lip bar in 2012, where nobody was talking about diversity and beauty. No one was talking about body positivity. It was very much so still that place where beauty was linear. And in some ways, we still struggle with that. But it's a very different story now. At least now brands are ashamed or, you know, they try to hide. (laughs) They try to hide the lack of diversity in their campaigns. But in 2010, 2011, when I first started thinking about the lip bar, that couldn't be further from the truth. And my goal was really just to like increase the beauty representation. And so from day one, our mantra and our motto was challenging the beauty standard. And so what we did was like, we were just so opposite of what everyone was doing. Like everyone was wearing red and nudes. So when we launched, I didn't have a single red or nude lipstick. We only had green and purple and just orange, really out of the box colors to say that beauty doesn't look like one thing. So I really started the brand in a very rebellious way with just like this plight of like, I want my niece to grow up knowing that she's enough. That's a beautiful driver to think about how to enter the space with intentionality because to our earlier conversation, so many people just see market opportunity and there's no real personal connection to beauty that is driving them to enter the market. So you recently raised what, just under $7 million. I think I read about that back in October. Congratulations. Incredible. Did you always know you wanted to go into the beauty business? Because I know you were a stockbroker on Wall Street. How did you connect the dots between those two things? I didn't know that I wanted to be in beauty. The only reason I'm an entrepreneur is because my cousin was an entrepreneur. So I think that everything in life is about exposure. So the heights that you see for yourself, oftentimes it comes from like you seeing someone else climb or it comes from you having this example, even if you don't know that example. So like I could say like, okay, I have my eyes set on Oprah. And so like, Oprah gives me a pretty big shoes to fill, but also gives me opportunities to say, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. And my cousin, I grew up, he was my first exposure to a serial entrepreneur. He would go to China and bring back stuff and sell it. And I used to work in his store. I will never forget. It was like Christmas Eve and, you know, the mall shoppers are, you know, doing their last minute frenzy. And he had me count the register at the end of the night. And it was like more money than I had ever seen. I think it was like $24,000. And I was just like so amazed. I think at that time, my mom probably made like 35000 a year. So I'm like, he just made like my mom's almost full salary in a day. And I was just so impressed by sort of his ambition. And I was like, I can be an entrepreneur too. I didn't start entrepreneurship until several years later. I went off to college, et cetera, but I always had it in the back of my mind. So I went to work on Wall Street and I decided I hated it. (laughs) What did you hate about it? It was just soulless. It was lifeless. Like I was always having to sort of like explain myself. I was always having to be the voice of my entire community. And that's exhausting. It really is. Like no one wants to do that. Like, no, I am Melissa and I am an individual and I do not want you to judge me or my actions and say that that's my entire race or vice versa. I don't want you to see a a news story and say, oh, this is how Melissa acts too. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. It was just draining. And I was like, I have to go. And at that same time, I was just getting really frustrated with the beauty industry and the media telling this like singular story. And I was like, you know, instead of complaining about it, I can do something to change it. And I started making lipstick in my kitchen. That's incredible. And speaking of possibility models, you had your cousin that you saw being an entrepreneur and it took a few years for that to click for you that you could do it as well. 
But I also want to hear from you for people listening that may have corporate positions or they have this inkling that they want, they're a lawyer or they're, you know, they're on a totally different path that they feel like I want to start a business. How did you set yourself up to be able to go and do that? Were you starting to make lipsticks in your kitchen while you were working and then you came home from work afterwards and worked on it? Like how long did you do both? And when did you realize that you were ready to take the full jump? I kept my job on Wall Street for about a year and a half. So at night, I was like working full time for the lip bar, staying up all hours of the night. We had sourced our components in China. It's like a little bird cage packaging. It's really cool. I want it to like stand out. So I didn't want to have like, you know, these really bright colors and then this really boring packaging. I made sure our packaging was really cool. So that meant that I was up in the middle of the night talking to suppliers in China because they're 12 hours ahead. I did that and I was proud to do it. Like people would come over my house and like I would take my molds that I bought from a manufacturer who had gone out of business and people would go in my freezer and it will only be like lipstick molds. And they're like, you don't have any ice? Like, where is the ice sort of thing? And the only reason I quit my job is because I felt like by not giving my business 100% that it would never give me 100%. It was not because we were making so much money. I think our first year in business, we made $26,000. And I was so proud of that $26,000. I couldn't believe that people were buying things that was made in my Brooklyn kitchen. I was like, this is crazy. And probably six months later, I was like, I think that I have something here. I had always done a lot of trade shows and that gave me the opportunity to connect with people, to understand like what their beauty experiences were, how makeup made them feel. I had the privilege to understand that beauty can oftentimes equal or mean self-confidence. And I think that everything is like confidence. How well you do in the world is like how much you believe in yourself. And so I would see people's lives being changed, like when they would feel prettier, I would see them sort of like have a a new pep in their step or like, you know, take a selfie and send it to that person that they were interested in. So that year and a half in Barclays, I tried to save up what I thought would be a year's worth of expenses. I ran out of the money in six months, of course, because just not, (laughs) it just was not a year. (laughs) And then I just, I struggled. I struggled for years. Like the lip bar didn't take off immediately. The company is 10 years old. And so if you are thinking about starting a business, if you have that fire in your belly, if this is something that you cannot stop thinking about, I would say don't ignore your intuition, but also be prepared for the journey. Don't think that it's going to automatically light fire because sometimes it takes time. And oftentimes people don't give their dreams enough time to actually manifest. And so I gave myself several years. I didn't start taking a salary from the lip bar until probably year six. Wow. Even after you had raised, I mean, money by that point, right? I mean, the business was profitable by year six, right? So we didn't raise money until 20, yeah, until year six, actually. So that was the year that I gave myself a salary. Okay. Every dollar was reinvested into the business. And a lot of people told me that I should have stopped. A lot of people would have stopped, but I really felt like I had something special and that I just needed to get it out to people. So we have to just be honest about ourselves and like our willingness to fight for our dreams. Not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. And also not every business is meant to be a big business. Like everyone thinks that venture capital is sexy. And it's like fun. Like, oh, somebody believed in me and they were willing to invest in my business. But not every business is investable and not everyone needs to have this multi-million dollar business or billion dollar business. There's so much beauty and pride and community associated with being small. And I don't want us to to lose that via the Instagram posts that tell you to do more. Yes. And there were, you know, lots of people that believed in your business, but there were also investors who didn't believe in your business. Yeah. <laughs> when people did not believe in the lip bar, what do you think it was that they were hesitant about? Do you think it was just not understanding the opportunity, not understanding, frankly, Black women? And how were you pitching lip bar at the very beginning? I, I think now I know the lip bar as obviously you've gone beyond lipstick and it's the five minute face and everything is formulated with vegan formulations, but What was the initial pitch and what do you think it was that stopped people from investing? Our initial pitch was challenging the beauty standard, challenging the beauty standard and sort of like 
talking and speaking to the women who were on the fringes of traditional beauty standards. The reality is, and again, it's changing now, thankfully, but in 2012, when we launched, the beauty standard was that you had to be fair skinned, you had to be thin, and you needed to have curly hair, if not straight hair. And that was true for Black women as well. And so everyone was sort of following the Kim Kardashian model. And literally, if I ever meet her, I'm going to thank her because she's a part of the reason that I started the business because I was so frustrated (laughs) that everybody was trying to look like Kim Kardashian. And I was like, she doesn't even look like this. You know, all the stories that you've, you've heard and people have said over the years, but everyone was sort of like, this is the beauty standard that I need to abide by. That was our pitch and nobody cared. Not a single person cared. And they were like, beautiful is beautiful. So I realized over time that my pitch needed more data. So there were things that were absolutely wrong with my pitch, 100%. But also I wasn't speaking to the right audience. And that's true for business as well. So whether you're trying to get investment or you're trying to get a customer, you have to make sure that your message isn't falling on deaf ears. If this isn't the consumer for you, they're never going to buy the product. So it doesn't matter if this isn't the investor for you, they're never going to invest in the business. And so we have to be very clear about the audience that we're serving. Who are we talking to and with what message? How do we make sure that whatever we're communicating is actually relevant to that end user? We sort of get caught up in thinking that everyone has to like what we do. And that's, it's just simply not true. It's okay. You can't do something for everyone. So even in my brands, I've had to make a tough decision to say, okay, who are we speaking to? Like other people can buy and we can produce products, but like, who are we actually serving here? Yes. And to your point about if an investor is not going to get it, they're never going to get it, no matter what the wording is, no matter what the data is. Now, Do you think that this is why so many Black women are overlooked in investing because there aren't enough Black people, frankly, that understand the audience that are in a power to say, yes, we want to invest in this brand? Yeah, absolutely. And even to take it a step further, there are always these conversations around like Black founders selling their businesses. Oh, yes, of course. Miele with PNG, which just happened. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, people are like, well, why couldn't it remain Black-owned? Well. Who can they sell to? There aren't any Black conglomerates. There aren't a lot of like Black private equity funds that have the cash to actually buy. And Black founders absolutely deserve to exit. So it's a conversation that I don't think we have enough, but like you have to know who your audience is and you have to know like what's going to move them, frankly. Absolutely. But I do think that there's a slight difference between building a company to have as kind of like a lifelong brand to be at the helmet versus building a company to sell. And I agree with you. I think Black founders absolutely deserve to build a company to even if from the very beginning, their goal is to sell it, right? That is a right that all Black entrepreneurs should have. But I do feel like there is some, I don't want to say resentment, but there is a there is that whole thing about like, quote unquote, selling out. Yeah. Our community believes that. And it's really unfortunate because other founders, they don't experience this. And I think that it would be different if Black consumers were only shopping Black businesses. Like there is such a small population. So if Black founders are not able to sell to white people or even sell their businesses to white conglomerates, because there's a whole conversation around like, oh, gatekeeping Black-owned products. So where do you fall on that? And to give listeners a little bit of additional context... (laughs) The Mayel Rosemary Drops that you can put in your scalp, a great hair treatment, scalp treatment. A lot of people have found that their hair has grown really well. Became very popular on TikTok. A blonde, young, blue-eyed woman, Alex Earl is her name, started talking about them. Then a lot of other white women started using them. Then they became sold out. And then coincidentally, maybe like two or three days later, the PNG <laughs> announcement came out, which was just like an interesting tornado of events all happening together. I was interviewed by The Cut about it. And the journalist who was doing the story asked me, how do you feel about white people using products that are for black and brown people? And I said, one, great. Like we want black founders to be wealthy. We want people to buy their products. 
But two, the reason why people are upset about it is because one, we have so few things that are created just for us, right? When you go to our hair aisle versus the other hair aisles, we don't have as much. So when you have people that have millions of other options coming into our space and then it's sold out or the price increases, that's frustrating. And then two, the very real thing that has happened several times before where the formulation changes to fit a wider demographic. So just the background. And now I want to hear what you have to say about it. I think that gatekeeping and generational wealth, building generational wealth, which we all say that we want for ourselves and for, you know, our counterparts, I don't think that they're in alignment because if Black consumers were only buying Black-owned products, I think that would be a different story because Black people are the largest purchasers of beauty. It's a fact. McKinsey has done lots of studies. We're outpacing our counterparts, you know, eight to 10 times on any given year. But that being said, very few of those dollars are actually going to Black-owned businesses. So the lip bar, we are now officially, as of like a couple of days ago, we are the largest Black-owned makeup company in Target. Wow, let's go. That's incredible. (laughs) Thank you. It's really fantastic. And I feel so honored. And it only happened because my community has always supported me. Like the lip bar's community is so strong. And I love y'all if y'all are listening. Appreciate y'all. But the reality is we own so little of the market share because when you look at the multicultural dollars, especially in mass market, 80% of them are going to Milani and another 10% are going to various brands. So few are actually going to the black owned brands. So few are going to the lip bars and the beauty bakeries and the minteds, which are, we're all sort of side by side and target, but it's not like people are only shopping us. And so I think that we have to learn to give each other more grace. And so we are going to open our wallets to a wide variety of brands. I think that the Black-owned businesses who are also trying to build wealth to scale, because the reality is we hire people who look like us. We give back and we pour into our community. So if we are not going to be wholly supported by our communities, I think we have to allow some grace to allow other people to also support so that we can actually scale our businesses. I totally agree with you. It's a hard conversation and people don't want to hear it. And I'm sure people will be angry with me for it, but I'll be honest. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think as long as you acknowledge the reason why people get frustrated when people from other races dip into our products, I think that it comes from a very real place of feeling like the marketing's going to change, the formulation's going to change. I mean, we all remember what happened with Shea Moisture back in, was it 2016, um, when so many Black women had been using the products for so long, women with type four hair, and then they had their first big ad campaign and you saw like a redhead and like a, a white woman with like loose curls. And it was talking about stop hair hate. And all, all the customers were like, I've been using this product. Yeah, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like who, what, what is this? What is this Shea Moisture? So I understand where it comes from, but yes, I completely agree with you. We need to be open. Now, do you go out of your way to shop black owned as much as you can? It's something that, and I'm saying from, let me speak for myself. It's something that I want to be more conscious of. I think clothes and beauty products, yes. But even like picking our general contractors for this renovation project we're doing, I was like, I would like to work with a black or brown person, even our interior designer. I was like, I would like to work with a black or brown person. Is it something that you're conscious of throughout a lot of your purchase decisions? I try really hard, honestly. So same thing. My contractors, my team is like 80% black and my team is all women, for instance. So, you know, if I'm at the farmer's market, the farmers that I'm picking up from or the clothes that I'm shopping, I'm, I'm actually trying to not shop because of this construction that I'm doing right now. It's so real. I think that there are industries where it's so much easier to shop black owned. Yes, that's true. Beauty is so easy. Like there's no reason that I shouldn't be able to find an alternative from a black or brown founder. I think especially within like makeup or hair care, it gets a little different when it comes to like personal care. So I try really, really hard, but because of the opportunity, it's not always convenient if we're going to be honest. So it's like, okay, well, am I going to not go to this store, which is closer to go to this store? It depends on the day. Do I have the extra time to go to that other Target that carries the Black-owned brand? Hopefully, but maybe not. Yeah, I try to be really conscious about it because again, I know that the only reason that we're successful is because people have 
selectively chosen me. Yes. And that's beautiful to have that support. I do want to get into your incredible products. Now, soft glam is everywhere right now. And you know, it's so funny to me about soft glam. I've always been doing soft glam because I don't have makeup skills. I could never do the cut crease. I could never do the heavy contour. So I'm like, yes, soft. Glam. <laughs> I love that this is now a trend. I feel like you have so many products that are geared towards people that are truly like makeup beginners and they want to just do a quick face. We don't have time for all the baking and the layers. So what are the products that you feel really proud of that you've been able to develop and maybe some of your bestsellers? So I'm also not a makeup girl. Like I started it not because I was a makeup artist, like shout out to the people who are like, it is such a skill set that I do not have. Like I can't do a wing liner if you paid me, but I'm going to work on it (laughs) this year. That is my goal. So we actually developed a system called the fast face. And the goal was for you to get your routine in five minutes with just a few products. And I decided to launch that because the beauty community had sort of moved to this very complicated system where it's like, I have to watch a YouTube video and it's going to be 30 minutes and then they're going to use 35 products. And I'm like, who has time for that? And who wants to buy all of these products? And I was like, I want to create products for women like me, women who are getting up and our tagline was makeup for people with shit to do. Yes. The reality is I was getting up and having to get dressed and trying to make my tea and get out the door and go into the office. So I don't really, I'm having time for a shower and like grabbing a piece of fruit and my tea and leaving. And I want to show up for myself. So like, I only have three minutes. I only have five minutes. So the fast face system was something that I was really, really proud of. We've evolved it into like our easy beauty bundle, which has like tinted moisturizer. Basically, again, it's your entire face and it's based on your complexion. So you never have to like worry about what works for you. So I was so proud of that because that was actually our expansion beyond lip. So we started as the lip bar and we actually only sold lip products for like the first seven years. And then we have this crazy expansion into fast face And it's done really well for us. And we've had so many women say like, oh, thank God, because I was so intimidated by makeup or I felt like I needed to do all of these things and I didn't know how or I didn't have time to. Beyond that, we're known for like our reds and our nudes. Like Boss Lady is our bestseller in the entire company. We will sell sort of 10 Boss Ladies before we sell anything else. Do you know how many you've sold to date? I don't know. You should have some sort of like ticker going on somewhere. I really should actually. It's been worn by like Michelle Obama and Taraji loves it. So it's a fantastic red and people love it because it works on all complexions. It's just a really good red. And so we started growing the red category. But my favorite lip product is is an orange color called Boy Trouble. It's a fun name. It's a fun color. Like, you know, I started with like green and purple lipstick. So like, I love reds. Boss Lady and Hot Mama are probably like my second choices. But Boy Trouble is my number one. Your number one. I do love a good orange. And one of the things I love that you have on your site, I love a complexion find like a virtual match situation because it's so hard when you're shopping for makeup online. But I feel like you have a really great range of different undertones, golden undertones, red undertones. And I'm always so curious when you're developing foundations, what is that process like and how many undertones do you have to be cognizant of? And also tell me if I'm getting this right. And not that you could just shade match me on the spot, but I think I am mahogany mommy based on the images. On the, I'm like, I'm either Almond Joy or mahogany mommy. I think you're Almond Joy. You think I'm Almond Joy. Okay. And Almond Joy is like maybe more of like a golden undertone. How do all the undertones work? Yeah. So we typically, whenever we're developing anything, we bring in so many customers and we have a small store in Detroit. So we'll just start like studying people's undertones. So we have found that because our core demographic is black and brown women, we discovered that there's a small amount of us who are sort of cool, neutral But lots of us are gold and red. Yes. The overwhelming majority of like our customers have a golden undertone. So when we were developing and our tinted moisturizer is very flexible and very blendable. So we only have like 11 shades and it's meant for sort of like everyone to be able to find and blend their color within it. But we made sure to develop multiple skin tones within those red, gold, and neutral complexions. So Almond Joy is sort of like a gold to slightly skewing red. 
And what we did, because complexion is so hard to shop online and we're in stores like Target and Walmart where there's no sampling. So we developed virtual try-on and it is eerily accurate. Yeah. Wow. Like It makes it so easy for you to like, you don't even have to pick your shades. When you open it, it tells you your shade. And then you can, of course, click around and try other things. But like, it was such a big investment and like, it was a hard pill to swallow, but it was so worth it because we don't get a lot of returns on our foundation. Most people are like, this works for me. That's amazing. And also, I think it's interesting. You have caffeine in your concealer. How were you able to formulate that? The goal was, again, for busy women, because like how we describe our customers is like boss ladies. And so like they're oftentimes like waking up getting a coffee and sort of going along and going by their day. And it's like our concealer is that one product where you can just put a a few dots under your eye and you kind of look like you've woken up, you know? And that was sort of the impetus around putting caffeine in it because caffeine helps to depuff your eyes. And so we wanted it to be effective while also sort of like being cutesy. So we know the power of concealer in terms of getting rid of dark circles or masking dark circles and puffiness. But, you know, that caffeine really came in and sort of like was a jolt to your eye area. Yeah, that's awesome. And why was it important for you to make all of the products vegan? So from day one, we've been vegan. And I think it's really just because... I've always loved animals and my philosophy has always just been like, I think we'll get better results by just having people test products and asking them questions. Like a mouse isn't going to tell us, you know, this stung my eye, you know, no one's going to say like, oh, this creased when I wore it after six hours. So like, I've always just wanted to have that interaction. Maybe it comes from you know, me starting my career doing trade shows, but like, I love connecting with customers. Like I read all the reviews. I'm reading the comments on social media because I want to know what your experience is with the product. Animals can't give you that. They can give you cuddles, yeah, but they can't give you real feedback. Yes. And as a fellow animal lover, I've also been learning a lot more and being more cognizant of which products are cruelty-free and which products aren't tested on animals. So that's amazing to hear. And so the actual formulations themselves are vegan, meaning there are no animal products in the products in addition to them not being animal tested. Yeah. Everything is vegan and cruelty-free. So no animal products or animal byproducts. And like, you have to be really careful with that because like people will sneak it in there. Like you have to make sure that you are watching your suppliers and really enforcing your blacklist. We have a blacklist of about 200 ingredients, like just making sure that ingredients don't cause cancer or don't have animal products. So it takes a lot, but you know, we try to be as clean as possible without sacrificing the pigment because we are servicing a population with deeper skin tones. Like we have to be pigment heavy. And we want it to show up. Like we want your pink blush to actually look pink. We want your orange lipstick to actually be orange. So we do play with sheer products sometimes, but like that's very intentional, but everything is loaded with pigment. Yes. And they always look so good. So what inspired you to start Thread Beauty and what has been the most enjoyable aspect of observing and learning about Gen Z beauty culture? Oh my goodness. So Thread is our second brand. It is now 11 months old, which is so wild. I can't even believe that I have two beauty brands and Thread is also in Target. And the reason we launched it is because of Target. We have a really great relationship with them. And we were just talking about how largely the multicultural market is a bit more expensive. So in in Mastige, which is stores like Target and like price points, like $15, most of like the smaller brands are more expensive, like almost getting towards premium. We realized that there was a big opportunity in creating something that was affordable. And just looking at Gen Z, like, I admire them so much. Like they're just such badass. Like they're so free. They're just like, I can do and be whoever I want. So I love that they're not in the confines. And it reminds me of like how I started the lip bar with those bright and bold, crazy colors. I think that if we want to see any sort of change in our world, we have to listen to young people and we have to like create frameworks for them to be successful. So launching Thread was really me honoring them, frankly, and me letting them know that I see them and I want to support them in any way possible. So 
everything at Thread is $8 because, you know, Gen Z, they're younger. Disposable income is lower. So I want it, number one, it to be affordable. I also wanted it to be, you know, high quality. I wanted it to be a very free-flowing product. So everything is sort of multi-use, multi-purpose. So I just, I love it. I love everything about Thread. I think it's very cool. We have a lot of men who make up. We have sort of the girl next door. We have the girl who never sees themselves in beauty. And so when you look at our Target display, because it's exclusive to Target, it doesn't look like any other brand. There are very few brands that have like men with makeup in a commercial space. And I just, I want it to like show up and have a brand that is just as fluid as they are. I love that. And I'm all for gender fluidity. I think it's so important that we do see all types of people using makeup as a tool for self-expression. So your latest introduction to skincare, right? So getting into the skincare space, the makeup remover balm, you've got a moisturizer, a great gel cleanser. What inspired entering into skincare and what do you think is different about your approach to skincare versus all of the other skincare that's flooded the market? Right. (laughs) Well, every single thing that we launch is asked at the lip bar is from our customers. So our liquid mats are long wear. And because they're long wear, we will always get complaints like, how do I take this off? Or it stained my pillows or, you know, just all of these complaints. And we would typically tell people like, just use coconut oil. Like it's something that you probably have handy, but coconut oil is very messy, especially if you live in a warmer climate. Yes. I was experiencing the same thing. Every time I would use coconut oil, I would miraculously have a stain every single time. And so just listening to our customers complain about it hearing them ask about skincare. We've always had these makeup hybrid products like our tinted moisturizer has hyaluronic acid in it. So people have started trusting us for their face and really creating that window of opportunity for us by just asking for more. So we started the development with the makeup remover balm. That was like a no brainer for us. The way we thought about it was sort of like, we want to help you put on your makeup, but also we want to help you take it off. No one is really doing makeup adjacent skincare. So even like our moisturizer has a bit of tech to it because it allows you to prepare for that next step, which is putting on tinted moisturizer or putting on your foundation. And generally, I think that very similar to the beauty industry or the color cosmetics industry, because skincare has flooded the market, it's gotten really complicated. You have people using actives on top of actives without knowing what they do or how often to use them or what they should or should not pair it with. And so I wanted to go the opposite route and just create something that was very gentle and effective, something that could work for all skin types. So our goal was just like, how do we soothe your skin? How do we like provide moisture and just like create a sense of normalcy and stability for your skin as opposed to like shocking it all the time? Yes. I am so happy that the pendulum has swung the other way in terms of skin barrier protection being at the top of the conversation, people really prioritizing, not damaging their skin, not over exfoliating. Again, to your point, layering all of these actives, it's just causing so many skin issues. So I love that you took like a gentle approach. I would love to hear as a founder, as someone who's been in the beauty space for, I guess, yeah, over a decade now, now that it's 2023, (laughs) what are your beauty predictions for 2023? What do you think we're going to see more of? I think that we'll see more of that. How do I describe it? Like beauty that is lit by trend. Like a couple months ago when Wednesday launched, all of a sudden everybody was like, how do I do goth makeup? So I think we'll continue to see sort of like these mini trends that have very short lives. Connected to content. Connected to content. Absolutely. Interesting. I think that that is here to stay for a while just because I think beauty has become so content driven. So that's my first thing. Beyond that, I think that people will continue to lean into sort of like that. The way I describe it is like glam is coming back. There was the moment for like the yoga face and like the very natural glow. But I think that people will, as we start going back outside and like people care less and less about COVID, I think that it's time for makeup to have its like glamour moment again. So I'm thinking that eyeshadow will become really popular again. I think that lip color is going to come back. I think that lashes are going to continue to take off. The final thing I'll say is 
brows have been a constant, but there have been different shapes of brows. Oh, yes. Or no brows for the Gen Z, <laughs> Gen Z girlies. Yeah. I don't think they'll stay there long. <laughs> I think that the brow styling is here to stay. Yes. I mean, for me, as someone who never had brows and had to get microblading, it's so interesting for me to see the popularity of the no brow trend. And I'm all for however people want to self-present. And I just think they should remember that a generation before them tweezed all of their eyebrows and it took so long to grow back. And it's like kind of not permanent, but you can do kind of permanent damage to those hair follicles. Yes. I'm actually thinking about using some hair oil on my brows because also as you age, they don't grow back the same way. And it's like, oh man. Yes. And there are also great eyebrow serums on the market. And yeah, it is an interesting space. So give me your top three favorite beauty products. I love fragrance. I love, 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 love. Same, same, same. Oh my gosh. Let's get into it. I could talk about fragrance all day. I mean, I just did an episode all about fragrance. So what are your favorite fragrances? They change. So I'll tell you like my favorite fragrances, like of the moment. There is a brand that you can actually only get in Dubai called Al Jazeera. And I am obsessed. Oh, wow. Obsessed. Uh, like, okay. Obsessed. I tend to like go after like very warm and woodsy type scents. So that's what I'm going to describe here. I really like the Byredo. I don't know if it's Vanille Antique or Vanille Antique. Yes. Yes. I love it. I just smelled that. It is just incredible. And I don't even think I like vanilla. Like when I tried it, I was like, I'm not really like a vanilla girl, but it, it's such a sophisticated, warm, creamy, just delicious. I love it. I love everything vanilla. And then I went back to an oldie but goodie after her passing, Hanae Mori. Oh, yes, I know. Like H-A-N-A-N-O-E, something like that. Yes. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's warm, but it's also sweet. And it's like old school. The fragrance has been around for like, I don't know, 20 something years. And I love it. And I smelled it the other day. And I remember having it as like a teen. And I was like, I'm going to start using this again. Yes. Amazing. I'm looking at all the different Al Jazeera fragrances because whenever someone says something is only available in a specific location, you're just like even that more intrigued. <laughs> Within the Al Jazeera brand, what specific fragrance do you like? Carnival. Uh, mm. Carnival. Okay. The bottles are beautiful in glass. Oh my gosh. I'm looking at this bottle. It is an art piece. They are. And my boyfriend is going to be so mad that I said this out loud because he, it's like his little his little haven. He loves fragrance, but all of their bottles are so intricate and just... Oh my gosh. They're all and this is, perfumes. So they just last on your skin. Yes. And I'm looking at the the notes, white floral, fruity, woody, sweet. There's tuberose, patchouli, ooh, top notes of pear and raspberry. This sounds gorgeous. And it seems like it lasts. I'm seeing very high ratings on the projection and the length of time it lasts. Okay. Yep, yep, if yep. I ever find myself in do, you know, I, unfortunately I wasn't invited to the Beyonce concert. My invitation must have been lost in the mail. But if I ever make it to Dubai, I will definitely check out this brand. Yes, yes, yes. And so you're running a team. You are building a brand that is constantly evolving and expanding. You've got two brands now. You've now entered the skincare space. You're doing a home renovation. <laughs> When do you take time for yourself and how do you take time for yourself? Are you intentional about self-care? Do you set time aside to say like, I'm really going to take care of myself now or does it come to you naturally? I think it comes to me naturally. Like I feel it. I feel it bubbling up like, okay, you have to pause. And the way I pause is oftentimes just like reconnecting with nature. I love to hike. I love, love, love. I was in LA during the pandemic and like my favorite thing to do was to hike along the PCH. And then when I was done with my hike, I would just run across, very dangerous, do not recommend. And then I would just sit on the beach and just yes. listen to the waves. So like, I am the person who's going to like connect with nature in some way and journal. That is how I release because you always have so many ideas as a founder. It's sort of your job to be the visionary and to continue to grow your brand. And that requires you to grow yourself. Your business can't keep leveling up if you're not leveling up. And so mm. I am really intentional about making sure that I do not allow sort of like 
my thoughts to take over my actions. I get them out. I get them out on paper and then I can actually decide what's the best or what actually feels good as opposed to sort of not being focused and running in circles. I love that. I need to spend more time journaling, but I do love being in nature. It was one of the biggest reasons why we moved out here that I can just like go across the street and go for a hike and just feel that like rejuvenation. I love that. Final question for you. When do you feel most beautiful? Oh, I think that I feel the most beautiful when my hair is done and I have on mascara. Okay. I love that. There's just something about the eyes that like completely change my energy. So if I have on a a mascara and a lip, it's like, you can't tell me anything. (laughs) I can definitely relate to that. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on Naked Beauty and just sharing your story, everything from kind of growing up in Detroit and that unique beauty culture to having the perseverance to make the lip bar what it is today. And now all of your new ventures. I'm just very excited. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. I'm going to send you a journal because having a pretty journal will inspire you to write in it. Thank you so much. I would love that. I would love that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right. So that was my conversation with Melissa. She is just so knowledgeable, but also just down to earth. And again, that reminder that with hard work and passion, you really can accomplish anything that you set your mind to. So I'm really grateful for her for coming on and sharing her story. And I will be back next week with a new episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 